Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the family and discipleship pastor at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Pastor Anthony Trussoni, the supported elder at Poland Baptist Church in Poland, Maine. All right, Tony, we are back at it. Um, is your, your coffee piping hot and refreshing to you? It's delicious. It's the last beans I have of this roast, though. So I'm going to have to get another another bag of uh, freshly ground beans, uh, of uh, whole beans, rather. Okay. You know, I, I've been interested in trying to experiment making my own cold brew. Because, uh, you know, this process is different than when you uh, brew coffee. In the, I do it all the or, time. You do? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Most of the summer, I drink cold brew. And so, okay. Are you pleased with the results? Yeah, it's really strong. I mean, even strong for my standards, what I make. So, so so depending on the day, I might put a little cream in it, whereas I usually drink my own coffee black. Okay, interesting. Because I know Mike's limited experience with some cold brews has been it's less acidic. Um, yes. And I typically drink my coffee black anyway, but um, it's a little smoother, I guess. I don't know. I sound – I feel pretentious saying that. I don't know, some kind of you know yuppie millennial, but <laughs> – Anyway, do you know? I, I don't know this. Do the Amish drink coffee? I don't know. I would assume that they do. You know, I mean, because they root a lot of their uh, lifestyle in time periods where people basically did drink coffee. So, not much, but you know, I'm assuming <laughs> that they did. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, the reason I bring it up, I was up in my uh, visiting my in-laws in Pennsylvania just last week and they actually they're out pretty rural and to the extent that they have like they're my father-in-law is a pastor and so the church owns the land of the church and then the the house for the parsonages yeah. is connected but it kind of loops away from the street and um so anyway right across the street from the church there is an amish family that lives but it's about five houses down from where my in-laws are um so there's a little cluster of homes there, and then it spreads out again. So, um, And then you'll see them clopping along. Uh, actually, the first time I saw them coming down, I mean, I was like gawking like a child, just standing out there in the yard, like there's these Amish people coming by in the horse and buggy. Um, and so, you know, I, I was up there seeing the Amish, uh, waving at them occasionally. Um, and it just got me thinking about their way of life and, uh, you know, the song Amish Paradise, you know, that kind of thing. So have you had many encounters with the Amish, like even through novels or movies or real life encounters? Yeah, probably more real life other than there was a, like a bowling movie about Amish people that was famous for, for a while. So it's, uh, no, <laughs> did uh, that have Woody Harrelson in it? It did have Woody Harrelson Okay, <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I, I think I know what you're talking about. <laughs> So um, there, I grew up in northern Illinois, but we had a cottage in southern Wisconsin. And in that area of uh, Wisconsin, there are a lot of Amish people. Uh, and we would often vacation in that area. And so I probably, I suspect every summer, you know, I'm not like I would go, you know, hang out with them and enjoy a burger with them. But, you know, I would be around them probably every summer. Uh, you know, they, uh, but the, even more, I mean, I've 
when we lived in Maryland, Lancaster County has a huge Amish population. And I, I went to a youth ministry conference in Lancaster County uh, as well as I spent some time. I got our dog in the Amish community area. So, but Interesting. So, yeah, my father-in-law is from eastern Pennsylvania. And my wife, and they, they've spent time living in Pennsylvania when she was growing up. They say Lancaster. And I, I kind of pointed out, I'm like, I'm not sure what, where that what's correct. But um, anyway... Yeah, so what is your view of the Amish? Yeah, so I, I view them as basically moral people with toxic theology. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know I don't mince words, so, but... Uh, you don't. I don't. You so don't. I, I, yeah, so, you know, I think that, you know, they're probably, for, for all the false teachers in the world, they're probably some of the better ones for society. That's okay. I mean, that that's um, yeah. They kind of just keep to themselves. Um, yeah. What do you think is the public perception? You know, of people of the Amish. Yeah, people treat them like uh, an exotic amusement, uh, and they can be really cruel with it. You know, I mean, I, I feel like almost like people treat seeing an Amish person like seeing a snow leopard or something like that. Uh, but no, I I think I mean we see that they're in. Uh, there's more and more Christian romance novels that are based on Amish people for some reason. Uh, there's also, <laughs> the, you know, I mean, reality shows that kind of exploit them and, and treat them again as this kind of, you know, I, I, I'm almost, again, like seeing a snow leopard, seeing something that's strange and unusual, but almost subhuman. What do you think about the perception that they have? Um, I, I think there is a lot of, probably some varied things. Some people just see them as a fascination or like, Oh, that's weird. They, you know, what quaint little people. Um, yeah. Some people it is like seeing the Sasquatch or something. Um, and like I said, when I saw them, I mean, I was gawking in the sense of just, I was just amazed. Like, okay, yes, here they are. They're real. Um, I've seen them on television and stuff, but seeing them go by and like, this is actually how they live without like, electricity at least a lot of them and so yeah I, I was i mean i wasn't out there pointing and like yelling like hey everybody look but uh it was just because it is so different um i think some people yeah that you said that they have toxic theology now i've not i've not had the opportunity really to interact with the amish um though my father-in-law has um, and there are ministries to the Amish as well, which is encouraging to hear. Um, <clears throat> so I think it's just going to vary maybe region by region um, and maybe how close you are to them or, or how how lack of interactions you have. Um, so, Tony, why do you think that they largely withdraw from modern society? And again, it's um, it varies from group to group, uh, the level of that withdrawal, but um, – but at least, I mean, we, I think we can agree that they don't live like everybody else around them. Yeah. Before I answer that, you know, I do want to encourage our listeners to have, 
you know, some, you know, sense of decency in relationship with them, just as practical advice. I actually think Weird Al Yankovic uh, wisely said it to paraphrase him. Uh, they ain't really quaint, so please don't point and stare. They're just technologically impaired. So, you know, I think we need to keep that in mind when we engage with them. It's a good point, good point. So, but uh, why do they largely do, uh, withdraw from modern society? I think that there's some uh, misunderstood passages about uh, from Scripture about separation from the world that they base that a lot on. I, oftentimes they will themselves cite this. I mean, Joseph Almond uh, did that himself. Uh, I think there was that kind of a fear that the world will corrupt them, that corruption kind of comes from the outside. Um, and also there's an erosion of evangelistic values, which is interesting because uh, a lot of the first Mennonites, which the Mennonites led to the Amish, not vice versa, contrary to what people might think, uh, a lot of the first Mennonites were committed to evangelism, but these people, the Amish actually, almost all Amish sects, are, I don't believe in it, actively think that it's not a good idea. So, so that hmm. probably kind of pulls them away from society as well. But what do you think, Ben? Well, and weren't, they were also persecuted. Uh, yes. Some weren't they, and so then they could. I mean, you could see how at least the, the generation being persecuted withdrew um, from society, just being gun shy. But yeah, fair, I think this so, is content. To be fair, Baptists were persecuted too, and and we're putting Chick Fil A's in Boston now, so. That's true. They they were drowning us and things like that, um, and other less severe things. Um, but yeah, I think the Amish are trying to you know not be tainted by the world, um, and yeah, it's just I think it comes from some skewed reading of scripture. Um, <clears throat> what do you think um, makes them so you know to use a business term sticky? In terms of being able to retain their people, you know, they send them. They have the ability to do that room spring or whatever it's called, yeah. um, and to go kind of taste the world for a while. But the vast majority of them come back and they they are baptized and join the church. This kind of thing, or uh, the church as they call it, uh, despite being a really inconvenient life. Yeah. Like what what makes it have that? What? ability to keep people yeah that's an interesting question and i think it is particularly fascinating because it's not even just that they keep people but they're growing their numbers are and i've uh, been do you know yes do you know the uh, when they had half as many uh, what point in history was there half as many uh amish people as there are in america right now uh i don't know i, I did read just last night that they were like that one of the fastest growing you know gr people group i mean probably it's because they reproduce so yeah. much but. So, so for listeners that were adults during the Bush, uh, Bush Kerry election, uh, there was ha that there's twice as many Amish people now as there were during the Bush Kerry election. Isn't that a fascinating thing? So, wow, that's that's a short time. It is fascinating though. Like Bush Kerry was what 2004. Yeah. Um, so that's that's really explosive growth. Yeah. So. Um, but in terms of their stickiness, so you can eat your ice cream, I would say hey. one thing is, you know, they again, they have tons of kids. I mean, just an absolute uh, a, a lot of kids. I mean, most cultures that have grown like this have a lot of kids. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned the kind of rumspringa thing. And, and that, you know, there's a lot of popular culture things around Rumspringa. Uh, but even in my research, as well as my knowledge of people that know it, I mean, a lot of that can be myth. Uh, and that they aren't really exposed to other worldviews often. Uh, you know, so even when they kind of have this time, they're, they're 
basically sometimes welcome to leave the community, but typically they don't. It's just kind of a slightly lesser engagement. So they might go into town, but they don't really build relationships with people that are in their community at large. Uh, but I also think that there's tight-knit families and among the Amish, very tight-knit, uh, as well as really tight-knit uh, uh, involvement of religion in the home. There's a lot of religious teaching in the home, and I think that's a significant part of the retention in them. Yeah, and there's some powerful forces at work to to keep them there. Um, again, their source, their network of relationships, and, and how to even operate in the world um, is there. And so it's not like, I mean, they go to like the, the Amish, at least in my in-laws community, they have their own school that they usually don't go to school past the eighth grade. Yeah. Um, they, you know, they learn some things and, um, but just the whole way of life is, is so wrapped up in that, that very tight knit community that it's, it's almost unimaginable for them to go operate in society. Now there are, they, I mean, they know of people, um, there's a situation where a woman was being abused by her husband or, you know, that was, that was her story. I have no way of knowing or verifying any of this, but, um, anyway, she went to the bishop and the bishop said, well, you know, if you just were more compliant or did what he said, then he wouldn't have a reason to beat you, which that's, I mean, if that's what happened, that is deplorable. Yeah. Um, anyway, then it's common, at least for this group, they'll pay other people, the English, you know, outsiders to, to drive them around, uh, drive them into town for things that they need. And so this man was driving her, started confiding in him. Well, they became lovers and then she left, um, left the guy that was abusing her. And I think he yeah. left her as well. He didn't sound like a very good guy. Um, and then she ended up getting married to this English guy. And, you know, so th there are people who do make that transition yeah. into kind of the um, normal or the society around them. But uh, there, it, there has to be some pretty strong forces to push them away. Um, and, you know, you talked about all the, the kids. My father-in-law knows a, an Amish man there in their community who has a hundred grandchildren. Like he, wow. he can't even remember all their names. I don't think um, <laughs> sure. he's going to remember most of them, but you know, that's a lot of like, uh, Amos, um, I can't remember your name. Come here. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it is a fascinating thing just to, to watch to, and to think about, um, what can we because this whole podcast is not going to be about the Amish and the paradise. Because uh, actually, some of the things I've heard, um, you know, for people who live around them, uh, it is not as rosy um, as the romance novels would have us, uh, you know, the, the the picture that it's portrayed. Not to say that it's all horrible, but um, it's it's not fantastic. Um, and yes, there's some bad theology, but um, what can we learn from them, um, whether positively or negatively? Yeah, uh, I think negatively we can learn how incredibly effective shame and us versus them mentalities can be. Because I think clearly that is a significant part of the retention. And that's, you know, so not all retention is good retention. Uh, you're going to keep people. You're going to even excite people if you, you know, if you alienate the other. Uh, and as well as if you shame people. 
And so I think we can learn from that, the dangers of it, but at the same time, why it's so intoxicating and therefore why we should avoid it. Uh, but I think we can also learn uh, that being, parents being the primary disciples of their kids is feasible. I think sometimes people discount this because they feel like, well, you know, that's not how the real world works. Well, I mean, for millions of people, it 100% does. And those millions of people are doubling every 20 or so years. Uh, and, so, you know, I'll also add sometimes uh, keeping the spiritual is worth missing out on things. I think we can learn that from them positively. That I'm not saying necessarily we need to miss out on, you know, having a phone or, you know, or a gas-powered lawnmower, but I think there is good wisdom there that it's okay to miss out on things in this world for the sake of what's spiritually good for us. What would you add to that? I, I really like that, and that's probably the thing I would zero in on. That I've heard um, Andy Crouch, who wrote that book, TechWise Family, um, talking about our families dealing with technology. Um, he used the example of like Orthodox Jews, I think, and they're just they get used to saying, "Oh, our family's different. We just this is how we do it," and that that's been able to to remain constant. They just go, "Well, this is we don't eat that, or we we don't need things prepared in that," and helping our own kids to say, "Oh, yeah, our family's just this is how we do it." Um, you know, and the Amish have done that well. I mean, they are operating within you know, vastly different society around them. And they do have interactions. Uh, sometimes they are even employed by people like that. But um, they, in many ways, are not dependent on the world. Um, and so just living as aliens in this world, um, yeah, again, not to, to commend all of their theology, but just, I guess, from a sociological standpoint, some of those kinds of things are are interesting for us to note and to learn from. So yeah, it's possible to and, and the Jews have done this, not just Orthodox Jews here now, but I mean in other times and places in the world, um, the Jews. I mean, it, it caught them, uh, caused them a lot of trouble yeah. to maintain their traditions and things, um, <clears throat> and people didn't like them because of it, but. Um, you know, they were able to maintain that. And so I think we could learn from that. Not that we need to necessarily, you know, go off the grid and um, that some of the things that the Amish do, um, dressing funny and, you know, having yeah. everybody having the same haircut or that kind of thing. Um, I've heard of a pastor talk about the ministry of being normal. Um, <laughs> that, you know, to be a Christian does not mean that we just have to act weird for weird's sake. Yeah. Um, I think negatively looking at some of the things that Amish do, and, and again, it's it, it. I'm not an expert on the Amish, but I mean, I probably know more than just the average person who doesn't have you know relatives who live right there with neighbors. Yeah. Um, and so, different groups are more or less conservative. I mean, yeah. they're all pretty darn conservative, but there's some like the ones in uh, my in-laws area. They can use bicycles, but they can't use bicycles with pedals because that's too high tech. So they can just like coast down a hill, I guess, but then they have to just walk with it other places. Interesting. Uh, now, my father-in-law was talking to – I think it was a, a Amish woman in uh, Lancaster County 
and she thought that that was how silly it was that there are Amish who can't have pedals on their bicycles. Like, why not? And he said he was thinking, well, there's a lot of other things you do that, you know, I might find yeah. um, kind of silly. But um, so there's there's that. Um, but sometimes it, it, it can feel very pharisaical. And, and by that, I mean um, creative ways to get around uh the, the rules. Um, and so I think sometimes missing it going by the letter, but missing the spirit and just kind of that, that attitude can be not so good. Yeah. Um, straining out, um, a gnat and swallowing a camel kind of thing. Um, there are things about some of their practices that, uh, I don't know, it seems almost contradictory. And I think, I mean, other people can do this kind of thing as well. Um, but trying to walk the line, oh, yeah, we're not dependent on the world, but then other ways where they, they do. And so um, I think just, yeah, what is the intention of what we're doing, not just the the bare facts of it? Yeah. Um, so I think, too, just asking the question, why why did you stop at the particular point in history of technological development, of style, uh, these kinds of things? Like what made that particularly godly? Why, why not go back to the, the days of you know what they were wearing in first century uh, Palestine um, and wear robes and sandals? Um, you know, some of these kinds of things. Uh, it's just sort of this – and you see this in, in various uh, Christian groups, um, particularly highly fundamentalist uh, groups where um, – this sounds arrogant i'm not trying to be but not overly thoughtful it's just like this is the way it is this is how we will do it instead of kind of a wise engagement of well this is what we're gonna do and this is why and you know just sort of broader principles instead of this is down to the let the you know very specifically this is the haircut that you can have these kinds of things um which i think that's helpful for us to think about as we interact with the world that god has placed us in um so what resources can help us – because that's really what we're getting at. Um, what can help us to navigate living faithfully in, in whatever culture we, we find ourselves in? We have people that listen to this that are not in America. Um, to, to live in that culture without succumbing to that culture. Yeah, I, I definitely think one thing that we have that the Amish have as well that is vital to this is scripture. And living by this, uh, although the script they've often built a system around it, but we can we are called to live by scripture, and scripture will give us wise guidance in navigating these kind of things. Uh, I also think there's a good example of Christians in the past to help towards this end. I, I actually think of Augustine. I think is a great example of navigating kind of the, the two worlds of navigating living faithfully without succumbing to it. I, I think he kind of describes a lot of this in. Uh, his book, The City of God, and uh, the and uh, and finally, I'd, I'd say kind of living by a great commission mentality, which has really, I think, led movements of Christians to you know whether they go into China or they live in the United States. That we you know we do we we embrace the things we're willing to accept the things that are are not moral statements, but we are critical. We are analyzing, and we are only embracing those things for the higher purpose of bringing glory to God and bringing the gospel out into this lost and broken world. And maybe those things are a little over simplistic, but I, I suspect they might be helpful. What do you think, Ben? 
I think that's good. Yeah, I mean, the Scripture with the Spirit giving us wisdom and understanding and illumination. Um, the Church is, I think, is also a resource in that to help us, um, other Christians, I mean, that we know. And you alluded to this, um, but I guess just to spell it out, um, but good teaching and writing, whether it's it's current, I think that's helpful, but also from the past. Yeah. People that are situated with different cultures, different times, different concerns to help us go, huh, gain some insight uh, and just, you know, relationships with, with people that we know. Yeah. But, I mean, you think of Hudson Taylor. You mentioned China. I mean, he went to China and like basically became Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, some may be deeply offended. He culturally appropriated, but he was just he loved the people. And in Fred, it would sort of be hard to tell him apart uh, he, he just blended in so much to Chinese society from his ability to speak the language. Um, and, and just, you know, the longer that you are in a culture, you, I mean, you become aware of differences from your own. Yeah. Um, but even think the, the ways they think about things sometimes are different. And so culture in one sense is neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, now, all cultures since the fall have, you know, rebelled against God in various ways. And so – um, but yeah, you just talked about being discerning about where we're at. And, um, and I think this is, I, I can't speak for other cultures. I can speak some for ours where there can be, uh, at least in some circles, sort of this, um, this idea that a, a certain slice of our culture is like God's way of doing it. And the way we do it is, you know, basically handed down from yeah. the apostle Paul. Now there's other people in our culture who are messing it up and they're godless, but you know, the way we're doing it's just, this is God's way. It's like, well, okay, not so much. Um, it, there may be good things about it, but just assume like this is the way, um, that's not a, a good way of framing things and that's i don't know in some ways kind of like the homage like this is the way to do it to be faithful um so what roles does the church play or what what role does the church play um in this process of navigating living faithfully in whatever culture we're in um as trying to help shape families to do that well yeah i think that one of the ways the church does this is the church needs to venerate the spiritual work that happens in the in the family, and this again connects to something that the Amish do well, and you know, and see the family as you know, it's not really even about the institution of bishops that that preserve against this kind of worldliness in the Amish community, but it's really the family, and and a lot of that bestiatism builds up the family, and I think in the same way the church t- should venerate and lift up the the family as the spiritual institution. Uh, and I also think the church should guide a family's very sense of identity. And, and I think that is going to, because I think even the families that come to our churches are often, you know, the head of the household, the whole family is going to be navigating who am I in relationship to this world? Who is my identity? You know, uh, that am I what the world perceives me as? Am I, you know, where do I belong? What is my highest self? And I think the church shapes that for people by showing us who we are in Christ and what our the chief and the man is. Um, I also think that in a way, uh, the role a role of the church in this is going to be that elders ought to be, in a sense, kind of good uh, good church technologists. A technologist is kind of somebody who basically think a thinker on technology. And I think 
spiritual leaders in the church need to be those who are equipped and thoughtful on what technology is influencing us and how we kind of are mindful of that, even if we don't totally reject it. Similar, again, to some of the books that you've mentioned before. So uh, the, uh, as, soon as, you're, as soon as you've had a good taste of your ice cream, I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yes, I'm, I'm muting so that the crunch of this nice waffle cone doesn't uh, <laughs> affect our ear, hearers. <clears throat> I, I like what you said. Um, because, yeah, technology it, and science in general, it can't tell us what we should or shouldn't do with a particular insight or body of knowledge. It's just there. Yeah. And so um, being able to evaluate, well, should we use this or should we use it? this thing for this purpose or how is this affecting us um and, and we're seeing that now with all the, the explosion of digital devices and screens and, and the applications that go on those things and going oh you know we didn't really know that was going to happen we didn't we didn't predict that oh that's bad um and this is not just you know uptight christians who don't want people to have fun there's a lot of people who are noticing these problems um i think though the church is to be a counterculture within the culture. Yeah. And so, I mean, we are together a family of faith. And, um, I mean, the New Testament talks of us in terms of brother and sister. And and so having those kinds of, of connections with one another, sense of responsibility for one another and love and obligation, uh, but also that we are living the life of God's kingdom this upside down kingdom that has different values in the world mm -hmm. that doesn't require that we strip electricity uh, from our, our lives and all wear the same kind of, you know, odd looking clothing. Um, but it does mean it may affect the, the kinds of clothes we do wear or don't wear um, yeah. in, a, in a much lesser extent. Um, also, I read an article recently and it just – captured my imagination but it was talking about evangelism in in this culture um and how our evangelism needs to kind of redraw the what they called this is a sociological term the social imaginary kind of the desires and the pursuits and the habits that a culture um embodies and that part of the way we do that is through our lives in local churches with relationships with other christians so it's it's the image was that you know unless we do that the world will be on video and the things that it portrayed oh look this is so great um but then jesus will just be audio but if we put if and i've heard others kind of make a similar case that um the church is god's glory made visible um as we live out these lives together of love that are shaped by the gospel we have a different set of desires and things that we say th these are the things that we should pursue and we do this together um it's made believable like yeah. oh okay like this has power and so um as different christian families and christian singles and you know these people are together in the local church um it does help form this counterculture that can then it, you know it's like okay we're together in this yeah um so how can we know if we're becoming too much like the world that's around us you know again whatever culture we may find ourselves in yeah I, I want to say I think oftentimes uh, other strong believers around us have a way to see of seeing it more than we can. I actually can even say this in my own life. I think I was, you know, 
as a newer Christian, I remember even going into Bible college as a freshman, and I kind of had this mentality, you know, that I want to be kind of uh, not worldly. I wouldn't have said worldly in the biblical sense, but, you know, kind of, you know, that uh, uh, kind of thought of, kind of, you know, educated and kind of um, cultured. And, uh, and I wanted to do that for Jesus, quote unquote. But in re- truth, I was just being worldly. And there's a lot of worldliness in me. And I think I was shown that by some other Christians, some, some less gently and some more gently. And, uh, but so I think oftentimes that the war, uh, friends, good Christian friends, your pastors can help you see that better than we can. I also think that when we aren't naturally questioning things, uh, we are seeing that we're we're probably too much like the world. I think an example of this is, you know, uh, recently the uh, massive box office hit was that movie Barbie. And, you know, I know most of the Christian leaders uh, that, and a lot of intelligent Christians I've known that have gone to that have seen some blatantly anti-biblical agendas in that movie. And that's fine to enjoy, you know, the Barbie Barbiness. I don't know, uh, the movie. But, uh, you know, if we're, if we're watching these kind of things, we're not naturally questioning, and we're not naturally observing the ways in which wrong values are steeping into things. I think that might be a sign that we're too much like the world around us. Uh, I'll also add, when we rarely bring up spiritual truths with lost people that we're close with, I think that very much can be a sign that we're too much like the world around us. And I think this is one where, you know, sometimes, you know, the retired Christian that is really tight-knit with lost people that they just don't want to talk about these things about, you know, they might lament, for example, you know, the, uh, that, um, they might lament somebody who's in a different stage that's, you know, going out and clubbing, which I'm not sure that we always should be doing, but both are kind of examples uh, of a worldliness where the, where our faith is not touching into our, our every aspect of our lives. Um, and finally, I'd say if you're quicker to justify, then self-analyze yourself. I, I think that can be an example. I, I think I've seen this blatantly, for example, in Christians that justify watching Game of Thrones, for example. You know, I've known a lot of Christians that are, you know, were big into things that Christians should see as blatant acts of worldliness. And yet, you know, we're quicker to say, you know, oh, well, it's not so bad. Then we are to really analyze our own motives and analyze what we're doing. So what, what would you add to that? That's a good list. Um I think it can be hard, but I do want to go back to what you said about other people seeing it in us. I mean, all of us have blind spots. And, you know, if we really know the Lord and we're trying to please him, there's an element that we're not we're not directly trying to defy God. Yeah. It's a little bit of a boil the frog kind of uh, principle at play. You just kind of get used to things. And... Um, you just adapt and oh you just take it for granted and and that's you know in a culture any kind of culture there's just a lot of things that everybody takes for granted we don't stop and consider it's just when when you enter a new culture or someone else's culture you know clashes up with yours then you become aware of oh well why did they do that or why do we do this I, i didn't even know i never even thought about it doing it differently and so um and this can happen too, even like from an economic standpoint or financial and in that like large scale economy, but personal finances um, between people who are kind of middle class and people who are poor. And I, I dealt with a situation like that, and I was talking to someone who has dealt a lot with people in poverty. 
and one of the things he said was that you know that just the way that they view money is vastly different, and they really don't care about my middle class mm-hmm. uh, approaches to to viewing personal finance. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so, yeah, just becoming aware of those kinds of things um, through the interactions with others and as they speak into our lives. Um, but I really don't think have great insight to add to some of the things you said there. Um, I think that's, that's good reference points. Um, so, I mean, is this all, if we, we do these things well, is this a foolproof recipe to spiritual success for our kids? You know, if we just, if we get all this right, we navigate it rightly. Yeah. I, I would definitely say no to that. Uh, uh, good question though. I mean, even the Amish, even the Amish lose about 10% of their people. Uh, you know, they're known for being super sticky in their faith, uh, but they still lose 10% of their people. And they lose 10% of their people without having to rely upon truths like divine regeneration. And we as real believers, we, we need God to divinely regenerate. We, we, we can't just throw enough rules at people. And so if that's the case, then we're probably going to lose probably more than 10%. So... Uh, I'm not sure what percent, but uh, but I will say, you know, we both of us are fairly reformed, influenced by some doctrines of grace. Uh, but uh, but even though that is the case, we do need to realize that uh, retention of faith will be more likely if we are mindful of these kind of things, if we are aware of the impact of worldliness, and if we are cautious in that way. There's no question. There's biblical truth that that will impact retention. Uh, but it is possible that uh, the opposite happens in a way. You know, we see actually, and, and I think it's interesting in the Amish comparison, is that of that 10% that walks away, and part because the because what being Amish is is so clear to them and so instilled in them that the 10% that walk away, they don't walk away a little bit. They walk away passionately. They're diametrically opposed. And and what I understand, often a great deal of them end up becoming atheists. Uh, but, mm-hmm. and so similarly, it's possible if we are very clear on what worldliness is and the dangers of it, and we're raising them up in the truth, it's possible that doing this more intentionally will result in the, the children of ours that reject the faith, rejecting it more passionately and reject it more decisively. But I think it's that, that cost is worth what it means to be faithful. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Good insight. I mean, it's Frank, but that's good. Um, I'm Tony, not Frank. What are, what's that? I'm Tony, not Frank. <laughs> that could be a good, another good Italian name, though. Frankie. <laughs> bada bing, bada boom. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I was up there, you know, because we went through Pittsburgh, and there's a lot of uh, Eastern European folks and Italian and stuff, so um, it's fresh in my mind. Um what are some dangers that you see for contemporary Western Christians in particular? Because that's where we live. We just know that context better um, of Western Christians kind of being overly influenced by the world. Anything stick out to you there? Yeah. I put kind of three things that I could quickly, but I suspect you're going to have some better answers. 
I think some real dangers I've noticed is that we've given, especially I feel like lately we've given up the pretense of really caring about what we watch. You know, I feel like 10 years ago, even that Lord, the, the, uh, uh, the drama in the game of Thrones, it really doesn't exist over a lot of other comparative shows or comparative movies that, you know, have explicit pornography in it. Uh, I also think social media can pressure towards false tolerance and celebrating worldliness, and that's a huge factor, especially among among the young, especially the you know the Instagram, the TikTok generation. Uh, and finally, I'd say the continued influence on, of marketing and kind of concert culture in churches, I think, is a, another danger in contemporary Western Christianity that that can influence being more worldly. And I think it's hard for me not to see that a lot of that worldliness as being behind some of the justification people gave of some abusive and fallen pastors, especially famous ones. Mm. I think those are that's good insight. Uh, some of the things that I, I think of, just sort of this notion of the good life, uh, very influenced by what this world says is good, uh, if, if this is mm. all there is. Uh, comfort, opportunities for our children, um, and, we, and we've talked extensively about some of those kind of things, um, all these access to all these extracurricular activities, which in and of themselves are not bad, but if they come and they start cutting out uh, our connection to the body of Christ and the means of grace that God has given us and, and the um, avenues that we have to love and serve his people just so that our kids can have, you know, this experience or that, that's becomes a problem. And, and so I think there's, I see many people sort of buying into that notion, particularly people who have some level of means, um, not that they're, you know, lavishly wealthy, but they've got some expendable income and, it, you know, it can just become this, uh, I think we've call, called it a, you know, a 300-pound gorilla or something. Or this this monster that just will not be appeased. It just keeps wanting more and more. Yeah. Um, I think our approach to money as well um, can be money and comfort. Um, and, and our approach to power and influence can be worldly. Um, you know, in the West, in America in particular, we have enjoyed as Christians a lot of cultural favor that, you know, if you read the New Testament, you wouldn't necessarily come away thinking, oh, yeah, that's a guarantee. Yeah. Um, though we should be thankful for it. We are seeing, though, that that wane now. And so there, there are some who it's very angry that we don't have that anymore. And, and I mean – there are things that are good about cultural Christianity. I mean, it's got its problems too. It, I mean, absolutely. There, there are some big issues with cultural Christianity, but there are also some good sort of hangover effects of it that when it goes away, like you see sociological breakdown yeah. um, and, and other kinds of things. Um, but we can just be influenced by what the culture says about those things. And even, you know, the American dream, which is sort of a, moving target in some ways, but it does usually involve um, money and comfort and, and that kind of thing. And, and again, if the Lord blesses someone with a, a good income, they don't need to repent of that. Um, it's just what do they do with that and how do they view the money that God has given them? Uh, we just did one recently. I don't even know if it's aired yet about uh, about saving and investing in this kind of thing. And um, But anyway, uh, I, I, those are some of the things that stick out to me. Yeah. Um, so are there any ways 
in which you see Western Christians deceiving ourselves into thinking, you know, that we're being more faithful than we really are just because we're, we're kind of living within the Christian subculture. Yeah. So I actually, in this, uh, I kind of go back in my mind to a lot of what you talked about in our last, in the last podcast of yours, the con- kind of conservative culture, conservative thing. I, I think mm. kind of the equation, equation of political or cultural conservatives, uh, with Christian faithfulness uh, can be an example of how this can kind of seep in. I, I think an example of this, frankly, can be, you know, there uh, there's a documentary that the past couple, the past year or so has been uh, circulating among Christians, uh, and I think partly because the madness of transgenderism and the host of the documentary, the, the essential figure, is frankly cruel to people with an unbiblical worldview throughout the whole documentary. And, you know, and I've seen it almost being treated as if it's, you know, again, there's benefits of this thing, but it's almost treated as if like, this is a great thing for like, you know, youth group to watch, or this is a great Christian thing. I'm not so sure about that. And I think that's probably a product, you know, uh, frankly, uh, that, you know, uh, us versus them, that kind of beating down people that you disagree with, that is an aspect of worldliness. Uh, or mm-hmm. another recent one is that, you know, there have been, uh, I, I can think of popular Christian film, other Christian films and cinema that, you know, are even owned by Christian studios that have really nothing to do with Christianity, but you're kind of tied to this conservative cultural. The, I think, assumptions, for example, that having Hillsong on the radio means you are discipling your kids, I think can be another way in which we're deceiving ourselves and thinking that we're being more faithful uh, with these kind of Christian values than than we really are, especially as sometimes worldliness can steep into those songs. Let me ask you this, because I know you you really like them, but like, so if you have Indelible Grace on, is that like... It better than Hillsong, or <laughs> you don't have to have family worship with you. If Indelible Grace, you've accomplished it. I'm kidding. I like Indelible Grace, but so they're awesome. So, but, uh, okay, um, my love for them is indelible. So. <laughs> what would you add to that? Um, I think yeah, my mind was kind of going into some of those directions, and again, like in that podcast, if you missed it, go back and listen and see what you think. Um, but when we're talking about the cultural conservatism not so much talking about politics though they they can go hand in hand Uh, but the key is not about democrat and republican it's sort of a more of a um this is how we live this is how we do things um this is an approach to life you know the purity culture and the promise rings and um christian conferences and christian camps and christian movies and all those kinds of things And, and not to say that they're all inherently bad or inherently good it's just kind of what we're that's the lay of the land. Um, but I think there can be, you, you brought up the music thing. That was one of the things I was thinking about. That, oh yeah. If, if we just like, we listen to Christian songs and we watch Christian movies, um, and wear Christian t-shirts and we have, you know, Bible verses in frames on the wall. Um, but then we live in such a way in, in many ways, not in aside from like, we're having like orgies on the weekend, these drunken parties, like I'm not talking in like that extreme, um, but just, oh, well, yeah, we miss church. Probably most weeks we go to the lake, we do travel ball. Um, yeah, we really don't give every now and then we'll give a little bit to the church. Um, but, you know, we just ah, travel ball is expensive and I, we want to go on these trips with our kids and we can't do that if we give and, um, you know, these kinds of things. And so the lifestyle ends up being a whole lot like our 
people who are neighbors who don't know Christ, but we're like, oh yeah, man, we love Jesus. Um, but you know, we'd have to stop and go, wait a minute, what's going on here? Um, and so not to say that listing actually, I know Lifeway research and maybe someone else helped them with this. Um, but they've done some long-term studies looking at people who stayed in the church after they left high school. And, and one of the things the not the biggest thing, um, was that they listened to Christian music. Now I think that can be, it can be a means of grace, particularly if, it, if yeah. it's solid songs, it, it's putting that in their hearts and minds. Um, you know, as opposed to listening to things that are graphic and degrading. Um, I mean, if I got a pick, I'm going to go with that. But yeah. um, Christian music by itself is is not, you know, the savior. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I think sometimes just oh, we're doing the Christian things again. It's the culture we're in, and so we're not even thinking in terms of. Uh, of these other categories because it's just like, well, this is the air we breathe, like the fish going, well, you know, what water? Um, it's like, oh, this is just how we're supposed to do it. And, and sometimes I think we can deceive ourselves. And say, oh, if we just sort of do these things, this is Christian faithfulness versus some of the more horizontal stuff that the New Testament calls us to, um, living lives of peace, being peacemakers with one another. And those things are much harder than, you know, playing the next Hillsong track or, or, or indelible grace or whoever you like. Um, it takes more effort uh, to do that and and just more intentionality, more yeah. wisdom. Um, and and I so, think, you know, the call to Christ, he gives us everything, but it also it, it requires everything of us to, to come and die and follow him. So I think in that vein, I think so many young families need to see today that, you know, you can be, you know, we often see in you know, a worldliness as being, you know, this, that, or the other, but you can be anti-woke. You can be, uh, that advocate taking America back by back for God. And you can also at the same time be profoundly worldly. In fact, a, a majority of those people probably with those mentalities are profoundly worldly. You know, I've seen, uh, research on this recently and I was talking when, you know, I was up there with the Amish, um, and my brother-in-law came up. He lives in western Pennsylvania where about an hour and a half from there, but in a more urban area. Um, but a, a lot of people who they kind of have that take-back Christian America mentality, not all of them, but a lot of them, are, are people who would say, yes, Christianity is a great thing for our culture, but they themselves do not actually – have any kind of active faith they're not they don't go to church um and so that that should tell us something Mm -hmm. that's a real problem Mm -hmm. um worldliness yeah yes like hey that's great for y'all um go do that now i'm gonna sit at the house and uh (laughs) i don't know watch watch the steelers play and drink beer on sunday yeah um but man this is really what we need and people who don't like it they just need to get out um (laughs) but that's not what jesus called us to and so yeah, um, we just need to get get our priorities straight, get, get clarity on what does the New Testament say and what does it not say. Yeah. Um, so are there any resources um, or steps or things that you'd encourage families to take to try to become just more aware of the culture's influence on them, their assumptions about those things, um, just anything in that area? Yeah, I'd say three things here. So one very uh, practical thing, I think – Families would be wise to set aside time to talk about what we are taking in, whether it be media, whether it be the conversations uh, on the bus, and assess those kind of things. 
assess things and contrast things to the worldview of our faith. Uh, and fi- and then I'll add a couple resources I think that help towards ourselves thinking on that. Uh, and that is uh, Tony Ranke's got a newer book. I actually haven't read the whole thing, but I've read uh, uh, significant parts, and I've had a lot of friends who finished it. Uh, but I, I need to get actually have I think I've got it in the mail. Uh, but God, technology in the Christian life uh, by mm. Tony Ranke, and then uh, another one. I actually thought I was thinking of a couple other resources, but uh, Center Church by uh, Tim Keller, who's now in glory. Uh, Center Church is a great resource on having both a gospel centeredness as well as kind of a right approach to engagement with this world without compromising to worldliness. And I, I highly, highly recommend Center Church for that. It's kind of a long read, but it's a good read. Yeah, I have that one on my shelf. I, I inherited it somehow, have not read it. Uh, I've seen the, the Tony Rinky book, and um, I know he's written a couple of things. He did the 12 ways your smartphone is changing you, which was very impactful for me. Um, and just I think he spent a lot of time thinking about these things yeah. and uh, why – He's read widely and, and, and researched widely on those issues, and so it's definitely worth, I would say, worth your time. What would you add? Um, I think more basic than that, getting to know people different than you, mm-hmm. um, to become more aware of your own culture, your own assumptions, um, whether that's across racial lines, across <laughs> where they live in town, um, cultural things, economic or, or financial, personal finance, like someone who's poorer than you or richer than you, yeah. um, just – it makes you more aware of, okay, we do this, and then that would lead to, well, why do we do it like that? Do we have to yeah. do it that way? Is that, is that like the way, the, the way of faithfulness? Um, and then reading things from other places and times. You know, we, we talked about this earlier, um, reading things from church history, dealing yeah. with just different issues, um, and, and reading things from, you know, people that are uh, maybe they're from your own culture, but at a different time, or reading things from a different culture. Um, can just be helpful to to get some someone looking in a different window yeah. um and, and so <clears throat> uh yeah I, I think those are just some some general principles uh because in order to live faithfully in this world and you see this in the old testament um and i just i lament the the ways that this is down or not say downplayed we just don't talk about it a lot at least no. i don't feel like but the, the need to have wisdom Mm-hmm. Um, to have, to know what God says, but then to have the skill to go. Okay, this is how this works out yeah. here. This is how this works out here in relationships and um, with its money, um, in ruling well, exercising authority. And then in the New Testament, Paul is regularly praying for the believers to have spiritual wisdom and understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that that means simply that it's just like getting these direct messages from the Holy Spirit, okay, all right, turn left, all right, turn right, now, okay, do this, now talk to this person, like it's, you know, messages in a video game or, or something, um, that it, it's something bigger than that, yeah. not denying the Spirit's role in, in guiding us in our lives, but um, it, it, it's just something, a, a bigger package, I think, and so um, I feel like that's not played up enough, and I think we've tried to talk about it here, not that either one of us are, like, trying to put ourselves also you know sages but um i know you know pray for wisdom but to live faithfully in whatever culture we're in it's going to take wisdom that the spirit gives and, and so um yeah just commend these things to you so tony thanks for thinking with me about this um for venturing into amish in and out of amish paradise and uh, <laughs> 
It's been a long podcast, and one might argue we've been spending most of our lives living in a <laughs> Oh, well, that, I think we will uh, bid them farewell. Fair <clears throat> use, baby. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.